Thank you for joining us as we bring you this worship service of 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our readings are from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, and from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 and 16 through 21. The Reverend Sharon Huey is preaching. Her sermon is titled, The Art of Broken Things. You'll find the link to our complete announcements in your email. Here are a few highlights. This is the last day we are receiving our special Pentecost offering, which has a focus on supporting youth. If you're interested in donating, be sure to indicate Pentecost offering in the memo line. Today at the church at 11 a.m., Michael Duarte and the Reverend Dr. Leslie Veen will be facilitating a small in-person gathering for prayer and fellowship. For this gathering, those who are fully vaccinated are invited to attend. If you're interested, reach out to Michael Duarte for more details. This Thursday the 10th, virtual small groups will gather at 7.30 p.m. via Zoom. You're invited to join for a time of spiritual practice and conversation. And now, in preparation for worship, you're invited to quiet yourself, becoming still as you prepare to worship God.
Let us pray. God of grace, you are always with us, but we are not always with you. You stand before us and we don't recognize you. You call us and we reply with all the reasons that keep us from following. Yet still you come to us in ways both quiet and dramatic. Help us to see you let go of our fears and excuses and open a space where your life may enter and thrive. And now in silence, we continue in prayer to you. Nothing is so broken that God cannot restore it to wholeness. No one is so distant that God cannot draw near. Trust that reconciliation is always possible. God always leads us home to the place of deepest belonging. This is good news. We accept it with joyful hearts.
reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the 7th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, we give you thanks for these ancient words. Open our hearts and minds that we might hear your word for us this day. Amen. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
reading from Genesis, chapter 3, beginning with the 8th verse. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. To the woman God said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and had eaten of the tree, about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all who lived. And God made garments of skins for the man and his wife, and clothed them. Here ends the reading. Are you familiar with the Japanese practice of kintsugi? It's an old art form said to have its origins from an ancient Japanese peace ceremony. In that tradition, members of two warring factions, perhaps estranged for generations, bring fragments of their broken pottery to a specific place in order for those shards to be mended together in a painstaking process done by a highly skilled Kintsugi master. This work takes time. A lot of the initial work has to do with examining all the fragments and getting intimately acquainted with each of the cracks and fissures. How do the pieces feel in the hand? What patterns are created by the tiny hairline cracks? Are the edges of the fragments jagged or are they smooth? One artist familiar with Kintsugi calls this step, quote, beholding 
the fractures, unquote. He said, you have to sit with the brokenness before you set out to repair it. The next step for the Kintsugi master involves applying a special kind of clay to join the shattered pieces together. Finally, a lacquer made with powdered gold, silver, or platinum is carefully painted over the clay, highlighting the fractures of the piece of pottery. By the time the work is done, the pottery is exquisite. Certainly not perfect. Its fractured past can't be denied. But the vessel's beauty doesn't lie in its perfection. Rather, its loveliness is in the artful way that it has been mended. Its brokenness honored, not hidden, with veins of precious metal and an artist's patient hand. I find this Kintsugi image a lively one on so many levels. It seems to hold promise for us as we consider what it means to be alive and human in these days when so many cracks are being revealed in our nation's history and institutions. But there are also ways that we can bring this Kintsugi image down to a more personal level our lives having their own need of mending. What does beholding the fractures look like for you? What would it mean for you to sit with the brokenness, learn to name it, lament it, give attention to it before setting out to repair it? Because in this life, in this world, Things do get broken. Bodies get broken. Promises get broken. Spirits get broken. People, too. Sometimes in a setting or situation, we are the ones who experience the brokenness. And sometimes we are the ones, whether intentional or not, who cause the brokenness. It's the lot of us humans to be caught in all of this, because for all of its glory and beauty, the human story is marked with deep tragedy. The human story from Adam on is like the fragments of a broken bowl, needing to be brought to wholeness again. Which brings me to Genesis 3. Now, I'm aware that this is a problematic text. I wish it wasn't so difficult, but it is, and we're going to have to accept that. Maybe allow for mystery in this story. Maybe not have all of our questions answered or the hard edges of this text smoothed out. It sure hasn't helped our hearing of this text that this whole scene can seem so cartoonish, so simplistic. How can we take this story seriously, right? A talking snake and a piece of forbidden fruit? One bad apple spoiling absolutely everything? 
An arbitrary rule is broken and that's it? Adam and Eve are banished from paradise? Doomed to live on cursed ground because of one sinful bite? We're likely to find this story preposterous. And you know, the Holy One doesn't come off looking so great either. Where's the good news in a God who can't seem to keep the emotions in check? If the Creator won't show mercy, do any of us creatures have a chance? Well, that's the cartoon version. But the story itself is more complex. It invites a deeper seeing and a deeper hearing. Friends, let's not forget where the story starts, and that is with beautiful communion, with Genesis 1 and 2 beautiful communion, with God and all the expressions of God's creation in gorgeous harmony. The mountains and prairie dogs and monarch butterflies are singing in tune with the Holy One. The desert wildflowers and constellation of stars add their voices. Each of their parts is different, but it's the same song. The humans, too, who have been created in the image of God and therefore created in the image of good are part of this chorus, belting out a song they can sing by heart. They have known blessing. They have been given life and freedom and a vocation to be a blessing in their garden home. God's own life is literally in them, and every breath they take is an invitation to return thanks to their maker. They have enough, and they are enough. How can they keep from singing? The Creator, too, rejoices. So it's no small thing when the humans turn away from this and stop singing the song. It's not an arbitrary rule they're breaking when they eat from the tree of which they were told not to eat. It's a relationship. They break trust. They break communion. They cut themselves off from the source of life and thus start to experience life in the garden very differently than before. With thorns and thistles now, with hard labor, their humanity gets diminished by misplaced desires that don't nurture wholeness in their life together. Creation is still amazingly good, and God's image of goodness is still very much on them. But life in the garden is clearly now a mixed bag. Contrary to our view of sin being some form of individuals breaking rules, Barbara Brown Taylor says that sin is a name for the experience of being cut off from air, light, Sustenance, hope, community, meaning, life. Sin can be individual or corporate. 
It can come in a singular action or live embedded in systems for generations. It's what we've heard described many times here at 7th Avenue in our prayer for wholeness as living according to our separations. Our separation from God, from creation, from each other, and even from ourselves. Mother Teresa said it this way about the nature of all sin. It's forgetting that we belong to each other. So we're not surprised when Adam and Eve start hiding. Easily recognizable human behavior, right? The toddler who has taken the forbidden cookie to the closet to eat it away from her mother's eyes. The unfaithful spouse who lies about his whereabouts, compounding the infidelity. Or there's a story that's come out recently after being buried for decades of the racial massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. A thriving black neighborhood is burned to the ground by by a racist white mob, and there's a deliberate effort to hide that story. Pretend what happened didn't happen. So yes, hiding. Adam and Eve go hiding and slinking off into their own corners, pointing fingers at each other from across the room. Adam had once said of Eve, you at last are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But now he's singing a different tune. This woman you gave me. Hear the contempt, the distancing. It's an accusation against God. I was doing fine by myself, but you had to go and make her. He's forgotten that they belong to each other, that they had enough and they were enough. Adam and Eve are no longer comfortable in their own skins and have to conceal their guilt with some nearby fig leaves. But that doesn't do it. That's, that's like trying to repair a broken bowl with masking tape. It just won't work. I have a niece who's been asking questions about Christianity. She's 18 years old and one of the most open and reflective people I know. One afternoon, alongside the tea and cookies she set on the table, there was a little bowl containing about 12 tiny pieces of paper each one written with a question she had for me about God, the Bible, theology, and what it means to follow Jesus. I'm thinking, yikes, I'm going to be here all day. But really because these were real questions which related to her actual life and her actual struggles and not some intellectual exercise, The time just flew by. One question she had was, what's all this about sin? Okay, I take a breath. 
I, I try to choose my words carefully, knowing that she, like every other human being on the planet, can easily get the wrong idea about sin and end up with a boatload of guilt or else start to feel superior to other people because she's managed to avoid certain behaviors. I wish that I had remembered Mother Teresa's definition, but I don't. I don't even think to bring in Genesis 3. But I so want her to know her own worth, the beautiful weight of her life before God, And I also want her to know that being a sinner isn't God saying, out of my sight, you're disgusting, but but this way to name the brokenness in us, which is real and costly. And so I say something like, sin is when we think and act against our own belovedness or other people's belovedness. And I share from my own life about how I do this, how I break trust with people I really care about when we are made to be God's beloved together. Listen to Barbara Brown Taylor again. I do not believe that sin is the enemy we often make it out to be at least not when we recognize it and name it as such. When we see how we have turned away from God, then and only then do we have what we need to begin turning back. Sin is our only hope, the fire alarm that wakes us up to the possibility of true repentance. And friends, what do we find when we make that turn towards life? We find a God who has been looking for us. Here's verse 8 again from Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? I find this question beautiful. God's first word to them isn't a statement like, I know what you've done. But it's a question. Where are you? It's it's not a pronouncement of judgment or condemnation, but a question meant to draw these still beloved ones out of their hiding places and into communion again. It's the question of an aching father searching high and low for his lost ones the lost ones who are sure they're too bad to be found, and the lost ones who are sure they are too good to be lost. Where are you is the question that punctuates the whole biblical story and really the whole human story as God lovingly seeks us out 
no matter how good and lost we happen to be. What would it mean for you to really know this? I mean, deep in your bones, know this. How free would we be to live our lives turning away from our separations and leaning into the communion we are meant for, opening ourselves to the source of life? Let's start by giving up our cartoon images of God, the tyrant in heaven who uses power to overwhelm and control people, No, no, that is not God. God is the ultimate kintsugi artist who holds the fragments of the broken human story in his hands, feeling the beautiful weight of our lives, working with us in what we will become together. May it be so. Amen. We believe in God, whose extravagant grace is offered to us with open arms. We believe in Christ, whose love enables us to love ourselves as well as others. We believe in Holy Spirit, whose presence is with us always. This we believe. Amen.
Let us pray. Holy God of desert wildflowers, prairie dogs, and monarch butterflies, we give you thanks for the many expressions of creation. As we soak in the warmth of summer and enjoy opportunities to gather, relax, and play, we are also aware of the health of the earth and especially the need for fresh water. And so we pray that together we might care for our planet and the life it supports, that it might be possible to find balance again. Give us the attentive care of a kintsugi artist, that we might behold our human history, see the ways we have been cut off from air, light, sustenance, community, meaning, life, and work to repair that once more. We pray that you would be with each of us as we attend to our jagged and smooth fragments and to the beautiful weight of our lives. Be with those we love, those who are facing changes in health and life circumstance. Be with those we struggle to love, those with whom we are ambivalent about being in community. And be in the stirrings of our hearts as we continue now in silent prayer. We make these prayers in the spirit of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
forth and receive this question. Where are you? Allow it to draw you out of places of hiding and into communion again. Amen. grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. <laughs>